reading uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 to 4. I'm reading from NIV. Be careful to follow every command I giving you today, how that you may live and increase and may enter and pass the land the Lord promised on whose in your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his command. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes dare not wear out, and your feet dare not swell during these 40 years. Thank to be the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, church. <clears throat> My name is Pastor uh, Bodoyak. So soon is Pastor to Pamela with children under the leadership of Pastor Brian Roller. Are we all glad that we are here today without wearing a mask? I do. So before I go into what I would like to share with you, I will just give a little bit of myself, who I am, some of you may know me, some may not. As I say, uh, my name, I'm married with my wife, Nyabandeng. God bless us with our, uh, with our five children. I start to serve God as a Sudanese pastor to family with children in 2015 up to now. I'm still serving him. I'm all then minister. I was ordained as a South Sudanese pastor for the Church of Nazarene, Canada in June of 2018. I have a passion for children, and I love to teach children. And I would continue to do that because I want them to know God. For I know that it is I and you, it is our responsibility as a foreign to teach our children about God. And by the way, my favorite uh, my favorite sport is football, in which Canadian term it soccer. So this morning I'm going to share with you a Bible verse that has a significant meaning to me, 
and Pastor Trin will continue after that. And this Bible verse point on the book of Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 4, which said, this is the word of Jesus, but he answered, it is written, a man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that came from the mouth of God. I'm reading from HCSV, which is this version. So this morning, why this verse is significant or why it has a meaning to me? First of all, God created I and you in his own image or into his true likeness, and it was good. And at the same time, God permitted us to eat food and drink water in order to live, or in other words, to be strong and energetic and be healthy. For instance, before I came to church this morning, I had my breakfast, in which I believe most of you here this morning also had their breakfast before coming to the church. Why? Very simple, it is because you and I will stay strong and energetic during the morning hour before we add our line. But Jesus once again say, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that came from the mouth of God. What does that mean to me and to you? As I mentioned, the food and the water we eat on daily basis are not enough for you and me to keep our soul alive. Therefore, we need something bigger than food and water, which is God's word. Because God's word can feed or nurturing us mentally, physically, and spiritually, so that our own soul shall live forever, which is the word of God. Because God's word is true living for our soul. And that is the reason for me that I love this bus. And I will share with you this morning, as I mentioned, because I believe, or I truly believe that, even though I live on this earth for a thousand of years and I don't know God, my life will be nothing at the end. And this is the reason of why this verse is very important to me, and I believe it does to you as well. May God bless you all, and one again, Thank you for helping me this morning to share this birth. Thank you.
So I have a question for you. What do you do when you get hungry? What happens to you? For myself, I get mopey. I get, I, I kind of have that, uh, life is, is hard and I move slower. Um, some of you might zone out, just kind of space out and, hey, wake up. Or uh, some of you have uh, a hangry problem. Um, you can turn to your friend or to your spouse and ask them, do, do I have a, a, an anger issue when I'm really hungry? Does that happen to me? Um, here, I, I wonder sometimes about hangry. Is it a real thing? Oh, oh I'm getting nods. I'm getting nods from probably the other person. Yeah, it's a real thing. But what I wonder is, uh, you know, or is it in just the mind? So um, this past month, as uh, many of you know, but some of you might not, is I work uh, also, I get to minister at Camp Hermatton, and I had the privilege, uh, no, let me restate that, I have the, I had the tremendous joy of seeing fully fed, fully satisfied kids lose their minds over the idea that supper was going to be just three crackers. Now, some of you are thinking, what are they doing out at that camp? Let me, let me just back this up for a second, and we, we, this is going somewhere. So, for our overnight camps, um, we entered into the story of the prodigal son. And what we did was, it was a lost and found series about God seeking and longing and going after uh, his lost kids. And then on one of the days, um, I had them go through a full immersive learning experience where they woke up and at breakfast time, they received their inheritance, at which point they could purchase whatever they wanted for the day. They could purchase whatever activities they wanted. They, so we had one cabin bidding against another cabin to do, the, to do the rock wall or to have a pizza party for lunch or all of these things, and the kids were loving it as they would, as you would expect. Um, of course, the back-end plan in all of this was that we all knew that we wanted them to run out of money by around 3 p.m., at which point we would then announce that inflation has come across the land, times are difficult, there's a bit of a famine, and we might not be able to afford a proper supper. Maybe we have, can only afford a supper that pigs would want to eat. Um, they, I heard things like this. And I have to frame this up. They had just had tuck, which is basically like snack time times 10 at like 3 p.m. And now we're at 5 p.m., all right? They're saying things like this. I'm starving. I'm dying. I'm suing. I heard that. I'm suing. I'm going home. My parents didn't spend money for me to eat crackers. Um, to eventually transitioning to cheers as this was the best meal ever, because what happened was, after they kind of had this emotionally low experience, we then retold the story and asked them, if, if this is pairing up, interestingly, with the prodigal son story, what might be next? And then to our, you know, we're very thankful, the kids are like, uh, I, we go home? And they're like, no, 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 you don't have to go home. <laughs> what, what, what did the prodigal son do? He, oh, he went home, and then what? Oh, a feast, and then their eyes light up, and they get all excited, and then from that point on, we had a feast for the kids, where we then talked about the goodness of God and uh, the son coming home. 
So at the, it was quite a day. And at the end of the day, it was a, a day like none other, there were these beautiful insights um, and profound truths. Statements like, um, some kids around the world don't get three meals and two snacks a day. Um, some kids were, had such high highs in it and such low lows that the range was quite something. Hunger, and, and even the prospect of being hungry, it's a powerful experience for all of us. I'm sure all of you have been there in some form or another. It's a profound teacher. Uh, the Israelites, as we know, um, got to learn firsthand the power of hunger and the journey of trust that comes with it. With it. The passage we heard uh, just read by Pastor Moses, it takes place um, with the people of Israel where they were wandering in the wilderness. They were going through this season of refinement, a season of reculturing. Um, they were going through this. They had spent, and, and Pastor Brian, you, you mentioned this last week, but they had spent 500 years under Egyptian law, rule, and more importantly, culture. And while God had miraculously delivered them out of Egypt, it took an entire generation of an instruction and testing and trials to get the culture of Egypt out of Israel. For 40 years they wandered, and during that time, God was trying to get them to clue into this reality. He was their God. He would take care of them. They needed to trust him. They needed to relearn that trusting him was the only true and free way. So we have that passage that Pastor Moses read. And then we jump to the life of Jesus and in the passage that we heard today. And let me just read um, verses 1 to 4 of this passage in Matthew. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I feel like that's very understated. It's like, come on, author, and he was hungry. Like, okay, um, he, he was hungry. Then the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? The connection. There are too many similarities that this, for this happening. There's too many similarities of the event of Jesus in the wilderness and the Israelites in the wilderness for this to be something by accident. There is so much in this that I could say. And while I could spend so much time, I'm only going to spend time on that first temptation and look at what Jesus' response to it is. Because let's be honest, um, we don't want to be here forever. We don't want our roasts to dry out. These are important things in our lives. Last week, Pastor Brian mentioned, and he laid a foundation for our sermon series called Root in the Word. Um, and do you remember he mentioned this national survey um, that concluded that the most effective strategy for moving people forward in their journey of faith is helping them to engage on their own with the scriptures on a daily basis. Now, the written promises and stories of God are essential. 
And that is something that we're talking about, right? The written word of God, God's word, the Bible, and the story that goes with it. Um, However, it's not just about what's been chronicled in this book. It's also beyond that. It's the living word of God. And it's something mysterious. It's something wondrous. It's something sometimes a little harder for us to hold on to. But by the Holy Spirit, God is speaking through the Holy Spirit, firstly, through this book and through the Scriptures. But beyond that and with that, we have God's voice speaking, uttering to us a living voice. And this is so powerful and critical. And what I find fascinating about today's passage is that it captures both these elements. First, Jesus quotes the written word. He quotes it, and just by him quoting it and by us reading the Bible as instructive for us, we know that this is important for us to take on. But then, beyond that, we have Jesus quoting a passage of Scripture That's saying that we need to not rely just on food, but we have to rely on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And when it says every word, it's not just referring to the written word, it's referring to the life-giving word, the words of the Lord that have been coming forth throughout time. Um, This is something that's fascinating in this connection, but I'm not going to get into that connection Um, I don't want your potatoes to be twice-baked. Actually, twice-baked potatoes are really good. Um, I'll stop there. Um, Verse 3, it says this. The tempter came, right? The tempter came to him and said, If, if you really are God's son, you should prove it. The tempter comes, and with such subtlety and such... conniving, dark wisdom suggests that Jesus should be suspicious of God, that he should take matters into his own hands because you can't be too sure that God is good. Can you really trust God? Here's my my challenge, and here's, I think, a problem for all of us. I don't know about you, but trust is hard. Overall, I consider myself a fairly trusting person. But even with that natural predisposition, trust is hard. You get burned a couple of times in life, and it gets harder and harder. And rebuilding trust, it's even harder, right? You know, fool me once, ouch. Fool me twice, thrice, Forget about it. And once that seed of suspicion and doubt, once that that thought enters your mind, it filters everything. You, You interpret a person's actions or behaviors through that filter, and it's so hard for you to regain trust. Have you ever seen the movie Inception? Some of us, I've got a couple of nods. It, it's a great film, it's super strange, um, it's, it's like this heist movie where they're not stealing, but they're 
entering into the dream state of someone else. Okay, bear with me for those of you who haven't seen it. They enter in with this fancy technology. They enter into this dream state where then they're able to kind of like implant an idea deep in the psyche of a person that then because that is planted and rooted deep in like their subconscious, it slowly changes the way they think about their own reality. It slowly changes how they respond to the world. And so this was the idea that this happens and it changes the way this person thought about their life. I know, you're like, what? okay, I don't need to watch that. Anyways, but for those of you who have, you understand, and this is how life works too. One thought, one idea, one experience, and you start to build your reality. They say that experience is the best teacher. Have you guys heard that before? Well, I completely disagree. Now, this is, bear with me. Why I disagree is it's not our experience that is our best teacher. It's how we ter- interpret our experience, how we make meaning out of our experience that is the true teacher. So here's an example. You have two kids. Um, you have two kids, and they have just been told that they can either eat cold old rice or three crackers um, for supper. This is a true story. Um, It's the same experience. They are experiencing the same reality. One of them interprets this lens through a lens of suspicion and the other from a lens of possibility. And you're left with one angry kid who can't even enjoy the feast that happens 30 minutes later. And then you have the other kid who even in the midst of it all found a way to turn eating bad rice healthy safe rice, bad rice into something fun and enjoyable and had a fantastic experience through the whole thing. Same experience, interpreted through a different lens, completely different outcomes. So where am I going with all of this? Israel is tried and tempted in the wilderness. They grumble They wish they were slaves again, and they robbed themselves of God's promises and his promised land because of the lens that they were reading the world. Jesus is tried and tempted in the wilderness, and he clings to the promises and the words of God and rises up to be the savior of our world. Two completely different outcomes from a very similar experience. This story demonstrates for all of us that being rooted in the word, in God's good promises, will not only give you a lens to interpret your experiences that leave you with hope and with joy, but it literally combats the enemy. That's what I love so much about this story and this passage. Trent is tried and tested in the wilderness of life. You are tried and tested in life, in difficult times. What do you want the end of that story to say? Here's our problem. It's the same problem Jesus faced. It's the same problem that existed from the beginning of time. The enemy of our freedom 
The enemy of our joy, the enemy of life itself, has been, like in the movie Inception, planting seeds of suspicion that directly undermine the goodness and trustworthiness of God. And if you want to live well, if you want to live with joy today, if you want to have hope for your future, you need to take this seriously. John 10.10, it says, you know, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. Do you guys remember the Garden of Eden? Most of, well, you wouldn't, yeah. Pastor Brian was there. He remembers it personally. Yeah, there he is, yeah. How, how was that time? Yeah, all right. <laughs> we all know the story of, of the Garden of Eden. Um, Satan comes up to Eve and Adam and plants a suspicion, plants uh, not, not just doubt, but just this idea. And here's the interesting thing. The, the tempter, um, the, the Satan, doesn't actually directly lie in that event. He, he twists the words of God. He creates suspicion because, in fact, they didn't literally die in that moment. They didn't grab hold of that fruit and fall over. And in fact, their eyes were opened to have the capacity to see good and evil in a way that created chaos in their minds and hearts, but it also kind of had them be a little bit more like God. So in fact, there was some truth in it, but it was suspicion, it was doubt. It created this sense that God's hiding something from you. God's got some other agenda, and it's not your goodness. It's not for your well-being. It's not for love. It, there's something else. Th these are the things that fall into our hearts and into our minds. The serpent does these things, and it asks the question, does God really care? Is he actually interested in me, or is he just waiting to punish me? In this way, the serpent sows the seeds of mistrust, inviting Adam and Eve to fulfill to that deep want and need at the core of every human, at the core of our own lives, to fulfill it not from God, but from self-interest, from grabbing hold for ourselves, for taking what we think is in front of us that we can grab onto. The tempter waits until Jesus is weak. He waits for him to be hungry. He waits for the perfect moment. And sidebar, he does that for us too, right? He shows up when you're tired. He shows up when you're angry. He shows up when you're lonely and when you're hungry. He shows up in these moments and, he, and then goes the tempter is patient. So he comes up to Jesus, right? And again, he doesn't lie. He just twists. He adds suspicion. He says, if, if you are the son of God, like if, because maybe you're not. And we might, as the reader, be reading into this and saying, what? Come on, obviously. Like, this isn't going to be a problem for Jesus. Only 40 days ago, he had this profound spiritual experience where he goes into the water, 
He comes up out of the water. Like the presence of God, like a dove, comes and rests on his shoulders. And then we hear from heaven saying, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You'd think that, would, that should solidify it. But it's, it's more complicated than that. Because we all know that 40 days ago is a long time ago when it comes to our hearts. It does not take long for things in our hearts to kind of start to go sideways. God could have given you a word, a promise. You could have read something in Scripture 40 days ago that were like, yes, this is going to, I'm going to live in this way and I'm going to walk in this way. And then a day goes by, a work day goes by, uh, a weird vacation with family goes by, another day goes by, uh, a friend gets sick with COVID, and on and on we go. And next thing you know, 40 days later, if shows up in our hearts, and it's a different story. I, I want us to, to take seriously, it's easy for us to look at Jesus and say, oh, you're God, so this wouldn't be a problem, but he was fully man, he was hungry, he was weak, he, was, he would have had his challenges that we have. And that's what makes this moment, this truth, so important for us. That with all of these seeds of doubt, you know, if you're the son of God, do you really know you're the son of God? Wouldn't it be better for you to be certain? You know, turn that, turn that stone into bread. Sustain yourself. Do what you did for Israel, for yourself. Why not? You don't need to rely on the Father. Do it yourself. If you are the son of God, surely you could do a miracle for yourself. Just, just this once. And in that moment of weakness, what does Jesus do? He taps into his childhood education and quotes from memory a truth that Israel had never really seemed able to figure out, that mankind does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our, our souls are designed to be nourished by God's precious and very great promises. On my way back from Camp Hermatton, yesterday actually, um, it was late and I was hungry. And my, my, what my body really needed was nourishment. But what my hunger brain um, wanted was, uh, was this. And I took it out of, I maybe, okay, branding, there we go, was this. I took this out of my car, it's, it's still... Smells frustratingly good. That's what my hunger brain wanted, and that's what my hunger brain got. And while I don't actually have a ton of regret, because I typically eat very healthy, um, it was this funny moment. As I'm driving through Olds, I'm like, all right. And then I see the arches. You guys have been there before. Maybe it's not the arches, but it's, there's a symbol out there that does something into your brain that says, I just ate a minute ago, but there is space in here for Dairy Queen. There's a space in here for something else. And you're driving, and I see the arches, and I'm like, Whoa, I just turn. I like, it was a non-thought action. I drive by this pack of teenagers that are all staring at me. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care if it's late. I go into the driveway, and they are so fast, they do not even let you have a chance to second-guess your decision. Like, I'm telling you, like, I am in that line, like, in the drive-thru. I pay with my phone, and then they're giving me, and then next thing I know, I'm, like, eating fast, way too fast. You've been there. It's, it's embarrassing. I'm like, 
all right, I'm like, next light, I'm just going. And then, it all turned out okay. It did. But, but we all know this, our, our tastes, all right, our tastes are conditioned by, by habits, whether right or wrong, um, the way we think about food. Um, and it's just part of our human nature. Um, and our souls, our hearts, we have those hunger pains too. We crave things in our, in our lives. And depending on what we've been training ourselves to do will dramatically shape what we go for, what we grab for, and how we react in our lives. We have these hunger pains. And when the enemy speaks his slippery words of condemnation, of confusion, of chaos, what do we eat? What do we go for? And when the world says that you can't rely on God, you need to rely on yourself, what do you do? Like eating healthy food, eating healthy promises requires work. It requires a plan. It, re- it requires discipline, forming new habits that aren't as convenient as just going off and grabbing a quick bit of food. Um, we become conditioned in our world, in our lives, um, to go for that heavily processed, sugary, empty carb promises. These artificially engineered promises from our world and from our communities and from everywhere else that are so addictive. And we find that it might match the taste buds, but it doesn't actually satisfy our deep hunger and our deep longing. I think we've all been there. What do you trust? Is it your mind, your intelligence, your ability to get things done or your ability to solve things? Maybe you trust your parents. They've always come through for you and you know that they always will. Maybe you trust your body, your ability to always get that job done or to accomplish this thing or that. Or do, you, or do you trust your money? It can solve the problem. You can pay for that or you can pay for someone to do that for you. And that's understandable that, that we cling to these things. These are in front of us. These are the things that are natural for us to want to grab onto, but where do they end in the long run? Have, have you ever repelled? Have any of you gone repelling? Uh, here's a picture of a student um, last week doing Harmattan's first ever cliff edge self-repel. Um, now our good friend Tommy Titterington, you might, some of you might know the Titterington's, is down below making sure that this remains safe. But what's great about this moment is that there's something called the ATC and it's what's right in front of you whereas if you have the rope, work with me on this, it's a pretty interesting thing. If you have this rope and you have it down beside you, it locks and you don't slide. If you bring the rope up, it loosens and you start to go down the hill. So you can slowly descend the hill or the edge or the cliff face that this is based on lifting that rope up. So there's a rope here and there's the rope down here. It's the same line. So what happens is until you've practiced this a lot of times, your instinct is that there's a rope in front of you to grab onto. And so this happened. Is that not necessarily with this student, but you've got this down, and it needs to be down. 
and lifting up and starting to slide faster than you're expecting. You get nervous, you get agitated, and, inst- and this happened. Instead of going down, grabbed, he went and grabbed for the rope, which in that moment literally means there is, there's nothing. It's, it's actually a free fall, and he has to hold on for dear life on that rope, Right? But that's our instinct, is to grab what's in front of us instead of training ourselves to grab things that are a bit more subtle but more supportive. Luckily, Tommy Titterington is down at the bottom, and as soon as that happens, he pulls on that rope, and it tightens it, and it locked him in place. But still, he let go of what was actually going to support him for what was right in front of him. Um, I remember when I was a kid, um, and I'll end with this illustration as well, um, uh, well, we can go to the next slide. So here's, that's, it's just a fancy, that's the ATC. It's, just this, it's such a small, simple device that if you move the rope through it, it locks in place or it free, you free fall. Anyways, we can move on from there. Um, if you've done lifeguarding training, I remember this. I don't know if this is still taught, but they taught it for me when I was younger, that if there's a kid or there's a person who's desperate and they come and they want to, like, cling on to you, that you, uh, you basically drown them. And so they come and they latch onto you because it's the one thing they see. They don't know what else to do. And in their fear and in their anxiety, they grab what's right in front of them and they hold on for dear life. And then we're trained to like launch ourselves under the water and like basically like drown them with us so that they panic, let go of you to swim back up to the surface. You get your distance so that you can approach a little bit safer and then you can like get it. That, that looked more like a catching the woe. I didn't mean to do that. Um, um, but then I get to put a little headlock, and then you swim, swim, swim them to safety. But it's the same thing. There's an instinct in all of us to grab what's in front of us, to grab what we can see. And we have to retrain ourselves to grab the things that are actually sustaining and supportive that are not necessarily right in front of us. When we're hungry for validation, hungry for meaning, hungry for hope, we're often tempted to grab for what is right in front of us and what the world has been training us to think will sustain us. The only way to break a habit of eating junk food promises is cultivating a taste for rich, nourishing, long-lasting, deep, satisfying, and true promises. It takes eating real food to develop a taste for real food. And that's what we see in this story. We see Jesus grabbing hold of real food and quoting scripture as a defense in that moment of danger and in that moment, not grabbing for what he could, which is the rock and using his power, but going for something different different, and in some ways more difficult, but more sustaining. Our hearts are hungry for hope. And, and Satan puts this temptation, and, he call, and then Jesus is inviting us in this passage to choose a different way. Jesus himself does not rely on his own strength, but he demonstrates a way of life. He combats the enemy with Scripture. And we are invited to model our lives after Jesus, who in weakness relied on the promises of God and chooses to rely on the Father's good words and not on his own power. Friends, it's a simple message. Do not grab hold of what is right in front of you, what's easy to grab, but make the decision to go and learn Scripture, to allow that to be something that nourishes you and retrain how you think about these things. 
Because in the end, we know where true power comes, and it comes from not our strength, but in our weakness, we get to see God be strong. You have and will continue to face difficulties. You will be pushed to the limit, and you can either feed the suspicion and live bitter towards the God that you've created in your own mind, or you can believe in the goodness of God, in his trustworthiness. You can believe that we do not live by bread alone, but by every good word that comes from the mouth of God. Cling to it. Use it. Let its promises be the lens that empowers you to live with joy and live for hope. I'm not condemning doubt. It's okay for us to ask questions, to explore facts, to wrestle with these things about um, what, what it means to be Christian. But be mindful of the suspicion of God's goodness, that God is not good. This is, this is important. I urge you, invest in the habit of eating a better kind of food for your heart. Let me pray. The worship team is going to come up, and he's, they're going to close with a final song that I think will be really helpful and informative for us today. Heavenly Father, we, we know that it's easy for us to cling to that rope that's in front of us, even though that makes it even harder. Lord, there are things and messages in this world that have told us time and time and time again that we should be suspicious of God and we should only trust ourselves. But if we're honest, that has never left us in a good place. Lord, we fall at your feet. We trust you completely. And Lord, I, I ask that you would help all of us make the decision today to trust you, to take a risk of faith, Lord, may we be instructed by the life of Jesus who, when tempted, did not do it on his own strength, did not fight the enemy on his own strength, but clung to Scripture to use the Word of God and proclaim that man does not live by bread alone. Woman does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, you have good promises for all of us. I pray that you would help us listen to those and not listen to those other voices that speak condemnation, speak suspicion, speak anger and bitterness. Lord, we reject those things because they do not bring us life. You are enough, Lord. We trust you. Amen.